One of the kids wants to be a YouTuber when she grows up and is begging for her own channel. Another one would play Minecraft all day long if you let him. Your teenager barely looks up from his phone. And your preschooler has a complete meltdown when you're waiting to get your food at a restaurant unless you let her watch a few videos. And through it all, they dutifully pack up their Chromebooks every day to engage with, you guessed it, even more technology at school. So what's a parent to do? It's a tricky question, like so many of the questions parents have as they navigate their children's growth and learning. And that's why the GLG is kicking off our Parent University mini-series. As parents of school-aged children ourselves, we are hoping to make some connections to our fellow parent listeners and help answer some questions along the way. So, stick around. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, La Capitana Casey Veach, team skeptic and idea slinger of spaghetti, Emily Coquelin, and me, clarifying the GLG butter, Jenny Labrie. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, today's kids spend an average of seven hours a day on entertainment media, including televisions, computers, phones, and other electronic devices. This statistic doesn't necessarily reflect the screen time students get in school either. How do we balance the learning and developmental needs of our children when technology is everywhere? Parents and educators and even educator parents are left trying to navigate the world of technology for kids all through this lens of worry, worrying about their sleep, their ability to connect with peers, their physical inactivity, worrying about inappropriate content or other rising issues regarding youth mental health. It's enough to make anyone want to grab all the technology in the house or the school and lock it in a safe until we've got it all figured out. Yeah, that might not go so well. So it's our intention with this episode to have a discussion and provide some resources to both educators and parents out there as they're trying to traverse these technology-related topics with kids with eyes open to the power and strength of technology in addition to weaknesses. Ultimately, our hope is to remind parents and educators that all technology use is not created equal. So before we really kick off this episode, I think it's important for us to offer a little bit of a frame for why we at GLG have decided to engage in this mini series discussion we're calling Parent University. One of the things I've always been really passionate about, even as a an instructional coach, was including and engaging parents in the world of school. And this was pre-COVID, pre-when classrooms were completely wide open via online school. Um, How do we include parents and educate parents to be an additional support for them? And when we think about the role of education, it really is meant to be a community resource and support. In the past couple of years, one of the things that I think has been very prominent in the discourse between parents and educators is the role that technology 
plays in the lives of students and young people. So that's one of the reasons why we've decided to start with this particular topic with technology and students. But really, we want this to be a conversation and a, a resource for parents in addition to the teachers who normally listen to GLG. Yeah. And like you said in your intro, some of us wear both of those hats, including everybody mm -hmm. doing this podcast. So we're I'm excited to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, me too. It. We've got a lot that we want to talk about as Casey mentioned, not only from our listenership as educators, but just think about all of the parents that we come in contact with. We are parents, we have educators who are parents, and not to mention, this could even be an opportunity for you as an educator to share this content with people in your inner circle that want to know more about, you know, there's, there's sometimes a lot of discourse about misunderstandings about education. And so we hope to provide a little bit more of a lens of learning for anybody, regardless of being an educator or not. And let's just be real, guys. It is late on a Saturday night as parents anyway. What is it like to be a parent, right? We're talking about <laughs> technology today, but what mm -hmm. is it like to be a parent in this day and age while working full time often, whether that is outside of the home or inside of the home? And so we just want to also provide content that's going to be pertinent and help our students in the long run. Because if we're partnering with parents and, and parents are partnering with educators well, who's going to benefit mm -hmm. but those kids, right? Everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> Our first question that we kind of want to volley and toss around is the concept of why technology, the pull of technology is so strong for all of us today. Honestly, I, I think it goes back to brain science. I mean, I think the, the successes that you have when you level up in a game or when you get a like on social media, like that is actually connected to dopamine, like mm -hmm. increased dopamine hits, so to speak, that people are getting from this interaction with technology. And so your brain and your body literally crave that feeling. It feels good. That chemical always does when it hits your system and, and mm -hmm. you want more of it. Like our kids want more of it and so yeah. do we. Adults are not really great at, you know, modeling it Well, themselves. it's interesting that you even mention it that way because if we think of also developmentally where our brains are at and what the brain science is doing when you are six years old versus 13 years old versus a 30-year-old, how are we interacting with tech and what kind of executive functioning do we have present or not to help us manage the self-control needed to consume and or create on content in the right ways. And even when you think about some of the most popular apps out there, Instagram and TikTok and all these other new and up and coming tools, they are designed to maintain and keep your attention for as long as humanly possible. Like the concept of scrolling quickly and the short tidbits of, of content, it is literally designed to hook into your brain and have you stay and have your eyes there as long as possible. So that's something that, Emily, I love that you mentioned the science behind it because those app developers really understand how to maintain and keep your attention. Attention is pretty much now one of the number one commodities in our culture. How do I get attention and how do I keep that attention? Yeah, and I might even argue not even so much attention, engagement. They want people engaged mm -hmm. like they don't just just want them scrolling the content they do but they also want them creating the content and posting mm -hmm. and liking and and they want that mm -hmm. they want that ongoing engagement with that because again that engagement that they get from other people who are engaged with it is going to help that dopamine flow keep going and then 
the big bucks keep flowing, so to speak. You know, guys, before we got ourselves on air and recording, there was something, Emily, that you were talking about as far as us being in a millennial generation and how that looks a lot different to what generations following us or generations preceding us have to experience and why I feel that this is such a pertinent topic to parents because many of the parents nowadays are millennials of these students. So Emily, what was that again that you were talking about with our generation and what that looks like for us? Well, so I was thinking about this earlier and also do not say the words geriatric. Oh, I'm one of those. Even though that's technically what I am as the (laughs) oldest of all of us. I am like the most geriatric, geriatric millennial (laughs) in the bunch. But whatever. Anyways, millennials, believe it or not, are the last generation that didn't fully grow up with technology in our hands. When you think about when PCs were entering the home, when the internet was invented, when social media became widespread, these came at different junctures in our development, but none of them was in place when we were at the age of our own children. So I look at my own seven-year-old twins and the things that they are able to do, the type of games that they had access to. I didn't play a computer game till I was in second or third grade. I think we, it was when we started playing Oregon Trail. Maybe we did like a typing game when I was in first grade and that was it. And like Apple IIe's. But when we were you know kids and teenagers and our brains were growing, Jenny, in those developmental stages that you mentioned before, none of this was here for us. So we cannot relate on a personal level to what our kids are going through, even if we ourselves have our own levels of tech addiction. Guilty. <laughs> yeah, so we that. are a generation of mm-hmm. parents that will, in essence, be unable to relate to our kids in a similar situation. So if we think of Gen Z, as they move into parenthood, they're going to have a different foundation from which to draw when they end up parenting their own children. So we have we just straddle this line of analog and digital, which I find fascinating and something that makes it really worthwhile to help educate millennial parents. And I, I don't want to gloss over something that I think, Emily, you've mentioned twice, but the concept that parents, just in general, you are the first and foremost model of all things for a child. And given the fast paced nature of information and high stress workloads and everything that parents today are experiencing, we are consistently glued to our devices. We really rarely, if you think about middle class families, we rarely don't have or need access to our device in some way. And so our kids look at that and they want to replicate that. So just didn't want to bounce over that piece. And truly not to admire the problem because for all the negatives that technology kind of brings out, I think it's important for us to talk about the power of technology when it comes to teaching and learning and creativity and creation. In our next section, let's kind of talk about how we as educators and even parents as well, how do we advocate for technology use? Casey, that is so true. And I'm so glad you said that because when you really think about it, just the way we started out this doom and gloom episode is so not like us. If we think of where we got our, where we got in our groove as a group of three is we were instructional technology coaches. We were the ones leveraging and, and beating the drum like, Hey, this is not a problem. This is actually something that's really, really good. So I'm so Mm -hmm. happy that you brought that up and honestly really excited to move into this section because no doubt we need to be able to use technology responsibly and help foster that usage with our own children's practices, but it's not all bad. And what I, Casey, want to, again, draw attention to the words that you used with curate and consume 
and create. And so my rule of thumb with my kids mm-hmm. is often that idea of if you're if you're passively consuming, how is your brain actually interacting with content? When you are creating and curating and critically thinking with content, which a lot of technology when leveraged appropriately can be, it is actually super powerful and engaging for the brain. So my rule of thumb with my kids is if you're on screens, what are you creating? What are you making? Are you create? Are you recording something and making a podcast? Are you putting together some images or drawing on there? There's so much that you can actually do that we don't need to be scared of. So true. I, I think that when you think about the passive versus the active role, and again, going back to brain science, when you're actively creating something rather than just when you're taking it in, different parts of your brain are activated. So I think that that's really mm-hmm. important to mention and to help make parents aware of. I mean, and even going back to the title of this episode, not all technology is created equal. We have to, as educators, help parents understand that there is a distinction between time spent on technology or on screens, just taking in content, just kind of being spoon fed and making something, creating something, redefining something, curating something. Uh, I think I think those those DOK levels really need to be brought out in what we're what we're discussing so that we can talk about what parts of the brain are in play. Uh, another thing I would mention is the idea to connect across time and space. And if if uh-huh. we didn't learn anything from the pandemic, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, too many screens in the pandemic. Yes, but but but. Anybody who's ever seen kids engage in a digital field trip? Have you ever seen kids explore a space that they never would have had access to outside of the digital Mm -hmm. scope? It's fascinating. I saw a group of freshmen look at the bunkhouses from Of Mice and Men. 3D tour. See how big it was or wasn't in that case. And their ability to interact with and understand that part of the text was so much deeper than it would have been if they hadn't have had that digital tool to understand what these characters were going through. And two, again, not to bring back or live in the doom and gloom, but this stuff is here. It's like you can't put Pandora's box back together. Right. So we have to provide a safe and secure base for kids to learn how to use these tools effectively and appropriately. I had a conversation with someone recently about chat GPT and like, oh, we got to educate. We got to tell the kid we got to we got to like pause. There's some amazing things that that AI can do. And if we completely disable and shut it off creates this like mysterious aura and gives it power when we want to help coach kids how to use that power for good and truly if our assessments can be answered with an AI like we need to be more creative and engage in higher level extended thinking anyway like I asked the AI to come up with a metaphor and it couldn't do it it was great so (laughs) there's opportunities for us if we don't use the technology, we can't learn how to use it appropriately. Or so are you saying it couldn't come up with the metaphor, Casey? I asked it to write a paper comparing a character in Jane Eyre to well, a tree or something. And it's like, I have no idea. So if you are really leveraging some higher order thinking and having it drop, yeah. the human brain does that. 
the AI, at least when I asked. So our metaphor connections are keeping us gainfully employed Mm -hmm. as pro bono podcasters. (laughs) 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 And you know what, Casey, as you're you're talking to, the other thing that comes to my mind is that idea of sustainability and equity. In working with a lot of Mm -hmm. educators across the K-12 continuum, but I'd even like to focus the attention at this moment in time, just with K-5, for example. You hear sometimes teachers that are like, okay, well, they're too young. They're too young for the for this tech or they cannot access it or they're because of fine motor skills, they need to be holding a pencil instead of having a screen in front of them. And while I respect that argument, what we have to really also think about is if we're not allowing students, especially at those younger ages, to access it appropriately and in ways that are higher order thinking, as you guys have mentioned, it's an equity issue. We are not providing kids with the experiences they need to become responsible digital citizens, as well as the ability to know how to use and not only use, but also... I would say agility. Agility, like to be able to move fluidly from one space to the next or one decision to the next. That's one thing that I think of. So with it being an equity issue, if... For example, the state of Illinois has the computer and media literacy standards. Many of those show that students are needing to reach levels of proficiency in those standards at a much earlier age so that they can get into and access the learning that they need to later on down the road. And so if we're stagnating at the K-5 level, we're not setting up those kids to be agile, to have that agility that they need in order to be successful as they're Mm -hmm. older. So it is also a responsibility that if we don't, as primary and intermediate teachers, teachers embrace we're actually holding them back. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I would agree. And you can connect that to career readiness, too. I mean, how many careers that actually await our students are not going to involve any type of technology or screen? Right. It's the world they're going to go out into. And I don't think it's all doom and gloom either. To transition a little bit there, Mm -hmm. technology is fun. We like it, too. Technology can create some amazing experiences. It can be incredibly entertaining and engaging. And again, if you're really using it in a creative way, sometimes you're going to see kids light up in a way they they might not have done in the analog version of that same task. Mm -hmm. I have seen some really amazing digital art and illustration come out of students when we do sketch noting on an iPad. Not the same on paper. Uh, you know, I just think it, it can be a little bit different when you when you consider what students are capable of and just let them enjoy themselves through the process a little bit. Random comment that reminds me of this fun piece. I recently was getting some tests done and a CT scan. And as I'm getting the scan, I look up and I kid you not, there is an Xbox above my head. I asked the tech, I'm like, is that an Xbox? She's like, yeah. The imaging on that device allows me to be far more accurate and only put the radiation exactly where it needs to go. And so we think of these devices as being time suck, but yet they are being used in authentic and meaningful space to provide healthcare or other things because of the power of these tools. So just because our kids are on games all the time. They're actually getting exposure so, to some tools that they may have out in the quote-unquote real world. So yeah. Just the fun that. and the learning are not an either-or proposition. It's a yes-and situation, yeah. and I think that's what we need to yep. continue to frame for our parents. Also, just giving myself a little mental high-five there for choosing Xbox <laughs> or <the> PlayStation. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Gonna get us in trouble again. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. So for any parents who are looking for help or tips, what can we recommend? You know, whether it's having some limits, having conversations, what are some initial suggestions that we have as parent educators and educator parents? So here's a tricky one. And this one kind of comes with a caveat. But I think one of the ideas I would put out there is to wait if you can. Like, I don't know if you've heard of the wait Mm -hmm. until eight movement, which is like trying to wait until your Mm -hmm. kid is in eighth grade to get a cell phone. Like maybe given what we all went through with the pandemic, sometimes like you can't, there's some stuff where the train's already left the station and you can't reel it back in. We totally get that. But I think when you think about what the next level or the next step would be for your kids to see if you can get them to pump the brakes a little bit and maybe just wait a little bit longer. And yes, of course, we're going to get them. My friends all have this. Or why does X get a, a cell phone when I don't have one? or whatever the argument is going to be, there's going to be some pushbacks just like there there always is when we try to impose limits on our kids. But like I said, it's really hard to get that train to go back into the station once it's out. If you can just wait and be intentional about moving to the next phase of usage with technology, it's good to wait and make sure that you're ready, that your kid is ready, and that you know how to walk with them through that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a nine-year-old fourth grader who we who tells me daily that she is nearly the only person in her fourth grade class that does not have a cell phone. And and it's not because I don't trust her, but I also understand that I want to put forth the practice and the scaffolding that she needs to set her up for success, especially when it comes to socializing digitally or virtually. And so, yes, she has access to Roblox on an iPad or Messenger on an iPad when we're with Wi-Fi at home, but she's not carrying it on her hip all the time. So we're seeing how she's able to be responsible mm-hmm. and dealing with some of the social aspects that come along with these these metaverse games or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. in a controlled environment before giving way to the cell phone. Same thing is if you don't want to do the cell phone, I know they also have, don't they have those like watches as well that hook up to to Wi-Fi that you can... So there's ways to go about and and scaffold that. Mm -hmm. And again, not because I mean, although she might say I mean, but it's also just just to, (laughs) to... Mm-hmm. put the practice in play early enough before you give free reign to something like a cell phone. So it's not necessarily, hey, don't do any tech. It's just how do we break it up into manageable chunks that are going to, over time, give her the practice she needs to set her up for that success. Yeah. I I like that you mentioned that, Jenny, because I also consider one of the scaffolds that we can put in place as kids move from kind of phase to phase or or technology to technology being like the limits that we set for them. So not even just like Mm -hmm. the device or the technology that they have access to and how they access it, but like how long can they access it for? Like Mm -hmm. your kid is complaining about about not having a cell phone. Mine's complaining about Mm -hmm. when that timer rings, but I keep saying, buddy, it's not good for your brain to play longer than this. Let's do something else. Mm -hmm. And then when we hit that point, I really try hard to substitute. So that's another thing to kind of consider is what parts of your brain or what parts of the the game or the technology do they, what are they responding to when they're seeking out that technology and try to come up with some reasonable and fun replacement for that. So mm-hmm. if your kid is a Minecraft addict like my son is, then you're going to get out those Legos <laughs> and you're going to build some stuff and you're going to really jump into that because he's going to be using those fine motor skills, but still build and create create and do mm-hmm. the things that he loves to do in Minecraft. Case in point, mm-hmm. if your kid is just wanting to get in touch with her friends, 
might be time to set up a play date, yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I love that. Same thing with those balances and structures, like having a specific time when the child is able to use the technology, clearly setting and communicating those. Like my oldest knows that we don't play video games during the week. We play them on weekends. And of course, he's always chomping at the bit for his younger brother to go down for his nap. <laughs> but really sticking to those. And even having an opportunity to engage with your child during those events. So one of the things my husband loves to do is to play Minecraft with our son. And it's a shared experience. So it's less isolating and solo. You can interact and engage and learn while you're doing the activity together. Absolutely. Uh, Another example I'm kind of thinking of out of our home, we do this very similarly to you, Casey, it sounds like. But even with consuming videos, not even just gaming, I think we've been using a lot of gaming examples. So I'm going to go into the YouTube realm of things. Pretty much every other night, our kids do something with one of our parents. They they will do reading and reading activities with me. Mm -hmm. But they're really into science and one of the things they really like to do is watch science YouTube videos and that is my husband Nick's wheelhouse so he'll pull up so like whatever their question of the day is how do magnets work or why are there tornadoes and they'll watch a science video about it and they'll talk about it and he'll answer their questions and it really even though they're consuming that part where their curiosity is instigated and there's dialogue between the two of them or the three of them depending on how many of my kids are involved is really invaluable to them so we're not totally pulling technology we're just imposing a limit. And like you said, Casey, pairing them with a parent as a partner through that can Mm -hmm. really be powerful and helpful to help them navigate that world and not just consume. What I'd like to notice and name it, both of you have just mentioned that the importance of dialogue and language acquisition. Why is reading so powerful for kids, especially at a young age, is, is the input, the comprehensible input of language. And so when Brian is doing, it's Minecraft, right? When Brian is doing Minecraft with Connor, there's language and dialogue that's part of that too, right? Or Emily, as you're discussing, like they're, the curiosity, mm-hmm. the instigating the curiosity with Nick and your kids, there's dialogue also happening. So it's really important to balance the the virtual with the real life. Another thing that I heard as you were talking, Emily, is that idea of like, okay, it's time to turn it off and build with Legos. Why not balance the both of them? When you're creating with Legos, what can you record or, or make a video of you doing? So there's a way to balance real life with the virtual that I think also provides the scaffold to help kids access technology in a healthier way. Love that. And to even do that together. Like one of the things we love to do as a family is record little, we call them stupid jokes, where Connor will take a shower really fast and then hide and surprise dad. Like, hey, we didn't have to fight about bath night tonight. (sighs) And we'll record it. And Cutter loves mm-hmm. to be able to watch it back. It, it's just his attempt at making his own little YouTube video. It goes nowhere. It just is on my phone. But it's that shared yeah. experience again. Yes, 100%. I, I do think that's interesting, too, that you're both mentioning that idea that we brought up before. But I really want to continue to hit that nail of the creation versus consumption. Like, yes, there's been some consumption mentioned, particularly by me. But that idea of creating something, either leading into technology use or as a result of technology use, having there be some creative, critical thinking that is done as a part of the technology. So what they're building in Minecraft or having to creatively Mm -hmm. think out of a problem in that game, that's great. Even the creativity of my kids having to come up with the science question they want answered from their dad, Mm -hmm. like that's still, they're creating something. They're kind of using the question generation themselves to figure out what they're going to explore and how they're going to explore it and what they're going to talk about and watch that night. You know, there needs to be Mm 
it needs to be active, not passive. And I know we already said it, but I think that's one of the most central points to all of this is we need to make sure that our kids' brains are engaged, not just through the fun dopamine hit parts, but through the really Mm -hmm. creative and developing parts that need to be developed. Yes, and and I will even include there, Emily, that not only is that important, but it's also important to be transparent with them about that. My kids know they're more likely to get a yes to screen time Mm -hmm. when they're like, hey, mom, can I use the device for X, Y, and Z that relates to creating? They know that because I'm transparent about what that does for them and why it's better for them than just Mm -hmm. sitting there and zoning out. So being transparent, noticing and naming those things and talking about it with your kids so that they also are aware of it is also going to help them as they grow up into and develop into individual and independent technology users. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One of the things I'm noticing is a lot of our examples at this point really reflect this season we all are at with our parenting. And one of the pieces that we haven't talked about that I think parents of older young people need to be cognizant of is that digital footprint. Mm -hmm. As they start getting those devices, they need to understand, unlike some of the stupid things (laughs) we may have done as kids, there is a constant record now of these mistakes, failures, things of that nature, that there is a trail to this content. So having those conversations about who do you want to be in the digital space? What do you want it to show about you? And ultimately, is that record something that you want shared? So when we talk about privacy and identity online, getting kids to understand that there's the you in person and then there's also this you virtually. So that I think is another conversation that parents of older youth need to really have. And let me tow that back. I think it's never too early to talk about digital Mm -hmm. citizenship. Yes, 100%. We need to be thinking about these things for our older kids, but our older kids need some of the stepping stones and scaffolds that we've been talking Mm -hmm. about. I think that's part of the reason we're talking about little so much is not just because of the season of our life. Sure, that's a part of it, but also because it's so important to set foundations for these things. Kids need to understand Mm -hmm. as the second they get on technology that they're are other people on the same technology engaging sometimes with them Mm -hmm. they need to figure out ways to when they're very little just keep themselves safe and you know learn about data and privacy as well as the parts of their brain that are are being affected by what they're doing but when they get older that social aspect of it when so that's why I'm kind of talking about like when you're waiting to take that step into social media Mm -hmm. when you get into the world where where it's social you need to be starting to talk to kids about would you behave this way if someone was filming you would you behave this mm-hmm. way if somebody was filming you and sending it to everyone in your school or to your grandma or to your future boss? You know, mm-hmm. that idea that you mentioned, Casey, of being aware of your, your digital footprint and the you you are face to face and online and trying to make sure that they are the, the you that you want to represent. The foundation can be laid for that early. It's so important. And I'm so glad you went there, Casey, with the, the adolescent age. Yes, of the three of us, none of us have a teenager yet. I have a 16 year old niece and my sister and brother in law are not educators. And so sometimes I forget like, 
they come to me for some of these questions because they feel like, especially as a high school teacher, that being around that age group, often they're coming to me for advice and things that I thought were possibly really obvious happen to not be so obvious for them. So there was one time a conversation between my sister and I where Mm -hmm. where she was struggling with how reclusive my 16-year-old niece was being. And I said, well, is she taking her phone up to her room? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's in her front she's in her room a lot. She said that the moment she instituted just a a little bit of a boundary there and said, hey, you can be on your phone, but we do that in the main space of our living area versus in your room. She said Mm -hmm. was night and day changed their relationship, changed the way that they were able to interact. And then there were boundaries there. So all of that is to say that it may seem obvious to me where I'm like, why would, you know, Again, no judgments, mm-hmm. but to me, I'm like, it seems a rule of not having a phone in the room, you keep it in the main space, you charge it there, is going to do a, a lot of good as well because it's easy to kind of crawl up in a hole and be on your phone otherwise. And so those boundaries are super important. They're hard to enforce, but they make a world of difference. And something that she said is she's really grateful that she's done with our niece. And let me tell you something. I think a lot of us assume that when we set boundaries, our kids are going to fight us on that and that they don't want them and it's going to be horrible. But I do think that kids or students, even older ones, understand the understand the boundaries and understand the need for them, even if they are going to try to push us and push our buttons and try to get around those boundaries. My senior in high school students had to write a paper on whether cell phones belong in the classroom or not. They were allowed to argue either side of them. And by their own choice, the majority of those students argued that the cell phones probably shouldn't be in the classroom as much as they are. They know. They're they're bright and they're they are growing in their self-awareness and I think it's interesting to look at that side of it from older kids that yeah, they the same kids that might, you know, never take the phone away from themselves if given the option. If you even mention the idea of why you might want to set a boundary, can see that that's a reasonable proposition. We hope anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I was just thinking like boundaries, setting and sustaining them. It's a sign of attention and it's a, it's a sign of care. Like this person loves me enough to see that I'm stepping beyond something and to put that boundary back and set it and hold accountability is actually a sign of attention and care. So boundaries are a good thing as much as they mm-hmm. as our kids test us. And Jenny, I love that you mentioned as educators, we think of certain pieces as obvious. One resource that I've recently discovered and utilized is healthychildren.org. It gives you some tools to create a family media plan with a bunch of different components, you know, green free time, screen free zones, but also how do we talk about privacy? How do we use technology for creation and not just consumption? So it allows you to select your family's priorities priorities and then provides you some ideas for things you could do to really live that value with your family. So it's a great resource for anyone who's looking to kind of realign and recalibrate the role of tech. In and given the fact that tech is so ubiquitous nowadays, it cannot just be a charge of education done only at the school level or only at home. It needs to be in partnership. It needs right. to be on both ends of what do those structures look like in school? Mm-hmm. What do those structures look like at home? We have to partner now more than ever for our kids to be the responsible, independent users that we hope them to be. And we're still trying to figure it out. Casey, early on when we started the episode, you had talked about mm-hmm. the, the idea that like, can we just close Pandora's box? Nope, it's it's not going anywhere 
everywhere. So we've got to nope. forge our way through and figure out how to best serve our kids so that they're prepared to be the type of humans we hope them to be down the line. Yeah. Educators, don't be afraid to talk to parents about how you're using technology in the classroom and some exciting things your students are doing with technology when you have parent-teacher conferences or when you have back-to-school night or curriculum night or what have you. When you have opportunities to communicate student learning with them, yes, of course, the standards, the standards, but I think you also do want to make sure that you're, if you're, there's some exciting tech use or some exciting work that your students are doing or development that they've shown as they navigate the world of technology to make sure that parents are aware of it and that they feel that partnership that Jenny just described. It can't be overstated, really. It's so important. We're all doing this together. It takes a village, and we need to be aware of that. Casey, when you mentioned the resource healthychildren.org, which I am totally checking out ASAP, (laughs) I thought of another one that I had used with my family that I want to throw in the mix as well. Common Sense Media. I don't know if either of you have ever Mm -hmm. had the chance to check that one. Yes, I love that one. Oh, God, it's so good. This one, first of all, can review pretty much any movie, video game, app, even like podcasts that are targeted at children. They're all over the place, but they have so many like reviews where you can determine what level parents say it's appropriate for, what level do kids say it's appropriate for appropriate for? What are some of the conversations that even might come as a result of engagement with this type of media? What kind of questions might your kids have or things might you want to talk about? So that idea of being that active partner for your students as they consume media or for your own kids even, like we talked about earlier, Common Sense Media gives us a lot of things that we can work with in that. And it also even just has general tips for being a parent navigating the world of technology. You can sort those tips by age, platform topic so if you're worried about your seven-year-old on their xbox which that's not a then you can search by, uh, you, you can use those limits to search and try to find exactly the tips that you're looking for. It is such a big help. I literally used it a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago to figure out how to do this whole Roblox thing with our son. So it's so helpful. These resources exist out there and we can have some positive tech use of our own as we figure it out. So what are some takeaways or some last minute tidbits for parents that we as a guild would like to share? I would just say it's never too early to start talking about technology-related topics and about the world that are the spaces that our kids are inhabiting or that their friends are inhabiting. Just ask your kids questions. If they come to you saying, my friend has this or my friend does that, I think you need to talk and ask questions and be open to discussing technology with your kids. But I do think that, like we mentioned, boundaries and limitations are done from love. Even when our kids fight us on them, we do them to try to to help Mm -hmm. our, our kiddos develop in the best way we can. As teachers, as parents, of course it's hard to set boundaries, but it's crucial to try to help scaffold the learning our students have when they get into tech. For me, it's the consistent reminder that I am the model of the tech usage I want to see in my children. And I am by far not perfect and the limits that I have for my kids I need to start following them myself because it's going to mean a whole lot easier to enforce if I'm doing that. and mine is rather than approaching technology with the doomsday or approach we can think of technology as a tool that we can leverage in a responsible way and again using that rule of thumb of are we consuming or are we creating and do we have a healthy balance of the two is going to help you down the road Ooh, and I got another one. Is it cool if I have another one? I think Jenny said it at the beginning. I think it's important that we as educators and parents have that partnership, Jenny, that you had mentioned a couple of minutes 
ago. And when I think about what you had said at the beginning of this, that when we put this podcast out here for our listenership, our goal is to try to create connections uh, for educators everywhere. And if you are thinking about not just your own professional learning network, but other parents that you talk to who might benefit from hearing this episode or engaging with you on this topic, this is an opportunity for people to talk about technology together and to make partnerships happen. That's kind of why we're doing this series, and we hope that this works for our listeners. Well put. All right, everyone's favorite game time. Okay, so for this particular game, we're pulling from one of my family's previous games called Wits and Wagers Family Edition. So how this works is we're going to ask a question. It's a two-sided card, so I do not know the answer. I only know the question. She says. I can play fair. (laughs) (laughs) And I ask the question, and we all take a guess as to what we think the answer is. And then we guess which of our answers is the correct answer. I know this is going to be a struggle for As per usual. (laughs) She's like... (laughs) Only because she's like, why would I vote for anyone else's answer other than oh. mine? <laughs> but we're just going to go see for how it. it goes. So it should be fun. All right. So our questions tonight have some sort of tie to either technology or a previous episode. And we're first going to start with a question involving some games, because oftentimes our kids really are engaging with technology via games. So the first question is, how many different skill levels were in the original release of Angry Birds? Oh, 18. I've never played Angry Birds. What? That surprises me. Um, Yes, we've played it at Top (laughs) Golf. Not <laughs> okay. That okay. Only at all three of us. Never unlike my phone. <laughs> Guilty. Um, fifty. Fifty. I'm gonna say a hundred. Oh dang! See now, maybe I won't pick mine, okay. guys, because I'm way low. <laughs> or not. Or not. I'm gonna stick with mine. So I'm gonna vote for me. I'm also going to vote for myself, but that's just because the middle of the road seems prudent when the range is Agreed. so wide. Agreed. I vote for M. 50. Is that what you said? 50? Okay. <laughs> 50. Okay. And the answer? 63. So does that mean Girl. Emily wins without going over? <laughs> closest without going price over. Of, yep. Price is right rules. Come on down. <laughs> Yeah, so. but Jenny, that means you get a point so. as well for having back. You do. Back oh, look at Veach is yeah. Veach is losing. So Emily, Emily gets. I know it's never it's multiple <laughs> episodes this season. Season three is not my season. Dun, dun, dun. So Emily, you get two points: one for voting the correct answer, and one for yours being the correct answer. Ooh. And then Jenny, you also. I'll, got t- a I'll point, take it. So. Yeah. I, next... I should not get too cocky, though, Casey, because yeah. we still got two more to go, right? Yeah. Yes, we do. So I've got another question related to video games. The question is, how many different shaped pieces are there in the video game Tetris? 28. Seven. <laughs> We're nowhere near each other. <laughs> and you, each? I know I'm drawing them right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with six. Jenny, 28? How many I got. I probably 28. went over. Uh, I'm going to go with Emily. I know it's very slight, our differences, but... Hmm, I don't know if I trust 
real drawings over mental drawings, but I'm just going to stick with myself again because okay, why not? I'll go with Emily as well, just because it's the lowest number. And I think I went way, I think I overshot myself by a lot. You, Emily, are correct. Yeah. Exactly with nice. seven. How did so you know you that? another two points, which puts your total at four. Honestly, I was just like listing shapes in my head. I was like, oh, the box, the line, yeah. the L, the other shaped L, the Z, the other <laughs> shaped Z. I was just like going through all the mm-hmm. shapes. There was strategy oh, behind both of your answers. Clearly not oh. mine. <laughs> yep. I'm like, I had to draw it. Yeah. Well, speaking okay. of video game addiction, I... I had my time with Tetris. <laughs> yes. And this particular question is worth four points just because... That's the way the rules work. Uh, <laughs> <have>, Do <Ooh>. tell. <laughs> Which means we can beat Emily. It, we can beat okay. Emily. So that's the only reason. <laughs> so this particular question has nothing to do with technology except for as families, it's really important that you engage in some quality time where you can start creating some content. And the perfect thing to do is to go on a vacation with your family. And so what percentage of Americans went to an amusement park in the past year? Because that's a great time to get pictures and build your own video. And yeah. Casey, you can just put down a point for yourself for that framing. That was a stretch, but well done. Well done (laughs) to connect that to the episode. As the person who doesn't want to get beat here, I don't think you should get an actual point for that. But props, props for sure. Percentage. We need a percentage hmm. here. Is it bad that I want to know what year this game came out? Because I'm like, was it during the pandemic? Like, I, I don't want to know. Statistic. I can provide you said context because I, as a librarian, I told Emily that this game does include citations. The citation data from this card is from 2012. Yes. Thank you. I love a good citation. What a great researcher you are, Emily. <laughs> I try. <laughs> Librarian heart is happy. <laughs> so I'm going to say 45%. I'm going to say 65%. 54 Okay. Close range. Yeah, we all are in the same kind of spread here. I'm going to back Jenny, middle of the road. I'm going to back Jenny, too. I'm going to back myself. Yeah. Okay. Moment of truth. All right. Moment of truth. Oh, we were all Oh, wrong. no. <laughs> we all went over, so no one gets points. 28%. I, we all Wait, went what over. were you going to say there? Correct. What were you going to say I there? Closest. <laughs> <laughs> I was closest. I was closest. So, looks like Emily has it for... And what did she win, Veach? She wins a, you know, those things they have at like concerts where it disables cellular connection. Oh, yeah, like You've the phone jail. Yes, phone jail for over your house, just in case you need to have a Minecraft blackout. Love it. I was going to ask if it was for me or for my children, but thanks for adding Minecraft to the equation so I know who it's for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So what do we have coming up on future episodes? Well, I think we're going to keep rolling with this parent university thing for a while. Like we mentioned, it's really important to us that our educators and parent educators are able to connect, and we'd like to see that going. So keep your eye out for more topics that are relevant to both of those spheres of influence. And that's a wrap. 
It's so good to be behind the mics talking to you all. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues as always, and you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Do you even realize your feedback is everything? Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already, or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review as well as subscribing? You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you at the next guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.